On the page, it looked nothing. The beginning simple, almost comic. Just a pulse, bassoons, basset horns, like a rusty squeeze box. <laughs> and then, suddenly, high above it, an oboe. A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until a clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I'd never heard. Filled with such longing, such unfulfillable longing. It seemed to me that I was hearing a voice of God. Excuse me. But why? Why would God choose an obscene child to be his instrument? It was not to be believed. This piece had to be an accident. It had to be. It better be. That was F. Murray Abraham as Salieri, the 18th century court composer seething with envy at the seemingly divine talents of Mozart in 1984's Amadeus. This week, we review a biopic of another more contemporary musical icon in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. Yes, I know that. Oh, that's charming. I'm sorry, I didn't know you wrote that. I didn't. That was Mozart. Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. The man you accuse yourself of killing. You've heard that? Is it true? For God's sake, my son, if you have something to confess, do it now. Give yourself some peace. So this week we watched Elvis, and Sam's going to tell you the plot. As Colonel Tom Parker lies on his deathbed in a hospital in Las Vegas... He regales the story of how he first discovered Elvis Presley and the events that transformed the king into the most famous musician of all time. Or, as a haiku, rock and roll icon. Love, success, tragic decline. Thank you very much. Oh, do you know what? I I didn't think the impression was going to (laughs) come. Would I disappoint? No. You know. You've got such a broad range of impressions exactly we could do a whole show just based on my wonderful impressions i mean to be honest just with as you got with that thank you very much i mean it's it's a bit baffling that they chose someone like austin butler to play elvis when they could have come to me i've obviously got the the attitude the charisma the sex appeal of elvis and the look obviously but they didn't decide to come to me yeah i don't think you would have worked with american audiences Hmm. I don't know. They get English people to to play Americans 
you know, famous Americans all the time. I just, I think in this case... No, they case, only hire us for villains. Yeah, they, that, that was the tradition. But obviously it's a missed opportunity. Everyone's very sad about it that I didn't get to play uh, the King of Rock and Roll. But may, maybe I could play him in the sequel or something. Um, yes, well, if a sequel does ever get made, uh, we'll look forward to that. But in the meantime, here is a clip from this Elvis. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But in the end, you got to listen to yourself. In that moment, Elvis the man was sacrificed, and Elvis the god was born. I'm going to show you what the real Elvis is like tonight. You're looking for trouble? You came to the right place. You're looking for trouble? Look right in my face. He had no idea what he had done. So the the king is back and Big Baz and Big, Big Baz Big Baz Lerman is back <laughs> Big Baz Lerman I've never heard him call that before Yeah well I think he's another one of these directors that's a bit of a staple of the film industry I think you don't have to be a film fan to have heard about Baz Lerman's films probably his most famous one Moulin Rouge Yeah I think you know that's that's probably his most successful it's the one that got an Oscar nomination for best film Yeah um, and then yeah even before that Romeo and Juliet Mm. Arguably the best uh, Shakespeare adaptation in cinema in, in the modern era. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a big <laughs> that's a big in the modern debate era, not in the, all time in the modern era. In the modern era, yeah, I mean that's a, it's a big debate. It's certainly a very iconic version of Romeo and Juliet, and he does create these very iconic films. So why not mix the iconic status of Lerman with the iconic status of Elvis and and sort of see what happens? So I mean, do you think he he managed to pull it off? What what did you think of this? In short, yes. And that's it. That's it. Oh, John is next week. No, I think we'll be talking about four. I think he did put it off in terms of the spectacle. Uh, I mean, if you are wanting to make an Elvis film like this, which is loud and brash and and feels like a bit of a circus, uh, then I think he achieves it, really. I mean, I guess we we kind of can touch on straight away that, that idea or of a circus that was Elvis' life because Colonel Tom Parker is very much the ringmaster mm. in that because the film is looked through his lens. We start with Tom Parker yeah, and he is the narrator. He is going to tell the story of Elvis. Now, I didn't know this before the film. I didn't know this in you know the, the media around the film. Uh-huh. But he is very controversial because there's this idea that he financially abused Elvis yeah. and he mismanaged him and he took 50% um, and all he was was a promoter. Mm. He obviously had none of the talent that Elvis had and considering the legacy that Elvis has left, this guy seems to have made more money than him. I think Colonel Tom Parker died in the 80s. I think he died in the 90s right. actually, but yeah. Even though Elvis died um, you know, a couple of decades before that, yeah, there was always this suspicion and I guess real anger from some fans that he was seen to be sort of live off the, the the corpse of Elvis, so to speak. Yeah, it starts off with it being through Parker's viewpoint, which I think is quite an effective tool as well, because because you can kind of go into this fantasy world of Elvis because you, you see him that he's like on his on his deathbed and he's being 
uh, given morphine for the pain as well. And there's a, perhaps a suggestion that a lot of this is a kind of morphine-induced, you know, flashback or hallucination. So it makes everything seem more glitzy and glamorous than it actually actually was. And there's this sense of him between two worlds. He calls himself a ghost at one point. Yeah. And you kind of feel like he's just on his way out of, of life and therefore this feels like it's some sort of like absolution in a way. Maybe. But I mean, I think the film is is kind of from his point of view, but is it doesn't really stick with that. Well, that's I think that's maybe that's something we should talk about first because that this is a fundamental problem with the film in that for about the first two thirds or maybe about halfway through, we are looking at it through uh, Colonel Tom Parker's lens. But then, yeah, we stop, and I thought this film was going to be a bit of a debate about how much Colonel Tom Parker abused Elvis, and, and a lot about Elvis himself. Uh huh. But, yeah, it does feel like at some point, um, and I don't know whether this is down to the script or whether this was intentional, that the idea of Tom as a narrator leaves us. And there's no real balanced view by the finale. It, it sort of genuinely seems that whatever he did was not in Elvis Presley's welfare. Yeah, it's funny because there are a lot advantages to making uh, Parker the narrator at the beginning because I think it, at first maybe means that it's, it makes it feel like the film might not villainize him as a lot of accounts of, of Elvis's life have done or it's going to give a, a more objective account of Elvis's life um it also means that you don't just start with Elvis so you get the build up to to seeing Elvis for the first time and that's really exciting as well but uh yeah <laughs> it's it's a bit of a mirage because by the end like no it does frame Parker as as a villain as I will mention a couple of times in this review, I'm not an Elvis expert. Wouldn't necessarily call myself like a, a, a massive diehard fan. But it's very hard to read anything about Elvis's life and his relationship with Tom Parker without really thinking that that, that Parker exploited him and, and did exploit him. And I think, you know, I, I think that's fair enough. I don't think you need to be uh, necessarily pre- present a balanced viewpoint on that. That's sort of done in a uh, not-so-subtle metaphor as at one point we've got a POV of... Tom Parker looking at a young Elvis when he sort of first really discovered him. Yeah. And then in the background, there's this shot of the word geek, which is obviously in circus terms, that was the the person that used to, you know, do disgusting things and yeah. he was abused by the ringmaster. And and that was in the first third. Yeah. So it just shows you is that even though we're supposed to still be looking at this through Tom Parker's point of view, he that is how he views Elvis. He's, he's there as someone that he can profit of and someone yeah. that he can manipulate yeah i mean it's interesting that was what you were wondering going into the film i mean i was overall i mean i think i really enjoyed the film i think it is a bit of a a mixed bag of stuff i don't think it's for everyone but i think i mean i went into the film hoping for something of elvis as a as a performer like i remember being quite young and seeing an, an or at least in my teens and seeing like an old advert of elvis I mean, it was for promoting something else, but uh, he he's kind of older and he's doing Suspicious Minds, uh, probably in Vegas, and he does this thing where he's doing the chorus like over and over of Suspicious Minds, you know, called in a trap, I can't walk out, and then and then he's and please he's, don't do that again. <laughs> I'll keep. I'm still pitching for that sequel, uh, and he's doing it over and over with this big band thing, and he's and he's and he's doing his like wiggle and his dancing and everything. And then he, he he just he brings it down lower and lower, and the band gets quieter, and he and and he he get and he's so exhausted he can barely get through another chorus, 
and and stuff and then he's, he's just sort of panting and then he just sort of sort of goes well don't you know Dan? and then he brings it up again and actually it was like a faint and uh, he comes up with more energy than ever and uh, does one more chorus and stuff and that is elvis as a performer that's an amazing thing about him he was this incredible performer and when i saw the trailer for this I was really hoping to see that, and I definitely did see that. I mean, I think that's maybe the biggest strength of the film, is you've got these great sequences of of performance that are crafted to be these, like, really beautiful, like, intense and sexy scenes. You know, Lerman does this with a a lot of, like, glossy set and, and costume design and lighting that makes it feel like a fantasy. I mean, Lerman makes fantasies in a, in, a, in a lot of ways and and this is the perfect way to make a film about Elvis because you have to capture what a revolution you know he was in so many ways and you need to capture the energy of him and th- the film does that I think yeah I mean I'd call almost like the first part of the film like an explosion it's just an explosion yeah. of music and visuals and really sort of dizzying camera techniques and I think that is done to show you what it must have been like for people discovering Elvis, yeah. how it was something, as you say, a revolution, something that we've never seen before. And I think that is captured really well, even though I think overall the film is quite attritional. Like, I felt I felt the length, but yeah. it's not that I wasn't enjoying myself, but it did feel really energy-sapping. But it, it does slow down, I think, with that first third where it's set in, um, what it's set in Memphis and set in the, the States, and, you know, they're going from gig to gig, and yeah. they're, they're really... You see a lot of the... the Life on the road. Yeah, yeah. Life on the road, exactly. You see a lot of the musical performances then. But then, obviously, as we get into Elvis' life, as he moves to Los Angeles, as he um, goes to Las Vegas, gets his residency there, everything seems to slow down. And obviously, Mm. that matches him getting older and uh, and iller, unfortunately. Yeah. I think the film is overly long. I I don't know why it is, because the performance sequences are still great. Yeah, we should talk... Actually, we should talk about performances. I don't think we've mentioned that Tom Hanks (laughs) plays Colonel Tom Parker, and it's Austin Butler as Elvis. So, yeah, maybe maybe we should sort of touch on that. Yeah, definitely. I I was just going to say, though, that, you know, I think the film is very long. Yeah. And I I think they are stuffing a lot in. Elvis Mm -hmm. is just a big subject to, to talk about. Uh, there's lots of things you can touch on, and his and his life is very complicated. And in that way, maybe Baz Luhrmann isn't the best person to do a complete view of this very big and complicated icon. But he is capturing a lot of the energy of him and the, the amazing things. And yeah, the performances do lend to that as well, very much. Like Austin Butler is just electric. He's not a very well-known actor at the moment. I think this is going to be his big break. He's and done. that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. And that's a brave thing as well, because taking someone unknown to play Elvis, I felt was the right move, because yeah. if you associate a m- more famous actor with other roles, then you might just see that actor and you don't see Elvis. And it's important that you see Elvis. You, yeah. You, it's important that you see that evolution of him becoming this this amazing you know rock and roll star. Definitely, and I, he really grabs your attention. He he's got all of Elvis's strengths and charisma and and sex appeal, and I think it's it's actually uncanny at certain points how much he resembles the King. You know, absolutely. I, There's these camera pans where it kind of goes across screen, and you see uh, Austin Butler sort of like flick his hair, and yeah. it does. He does look like Elvis there. It's kind of it, it almost looks like stock footage in a way. But he's he's just got the attitude. He's got it down like really really well. He's he's wonderful to watch. Like it's funny because. Sometimes the supporting cast are the people that steal scenes. You know, that's why we call them scene stealers. But 
I really just couldn't take my eyes off uh, Austin Butler's Elvis. It was really exciting. And I think that actually helped with the, the, the point of view of, of Tom Parker. As I, as I said earlier, we, we don't see Elvis fully f- at first. At first, it's from Parker's point of view. And there's this build-up to seeing Elvis for the first time. And then we feel like Parker or an audience member at that uh, haystack performance. And, and that's really, really good. That puts you in the kind of the, the POV even more of what it was like to see Elvis and stuff. Should we talk about Tom Hanks, though? Let's talk about Tom Hanks' massive prosthetics. I mean, it's... it's... Uh, I, I just want to say that I think this is one of those very, very rare performances from Hanks where I feel he's miscast. I don't think the makeup or prosthetics or fat suit, whatever it was, works at all. I never really felt like I was looking at a real person. Just no. post the face get in the way of every scene. And also, he talks with this really strange and really strong Dutch accent, even yeah. though the character itself had been in... Uh, America for for a few decades by that point. Um, and I, I've seen interviews with Colonel Tom Parker where he talks with an American accent, really? like, rather broadly. I mean, we, we shouldn't get into what's real and the historicity. Historicity? Yeah, I guess. Or the authenticity. You know, whatever word you want to use. Yeah, just because essentially we'll get into a rabbit hole then. And obviously, the reason why you cast someone as famous as Tom Hanks in it is because with the way the film is structured, in that he is the narrator and he's telling the story. In that sense, I just didn't think his performance worked at all. I thought it was over the top and camp and like a little bit ridiculous at times. Tom Hanks and narration and Elvis. I'm trying to think where I've seen that before. Yeah, it was Forrest Gump. That oh, Forrest Gump I've right. seen it before. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I've completely forgotten about that. Um, yeah, I think he's a bit of a panto villain. Yes. And I think yeah. that's what he is. That's I mean, like, I don't think he took away from any of the things that, that I enjoyed about the film. Because, again, I think that there's there's something very over the top about the film that works really, really well. And I guess having someone look like that and perform like that, you know, is part of it. But, yeah, I, it does kind of cross the lines into panto villain at certain points. There are some other things I found kind of interesting as well. Like, the, the politics of the film. Like, making a film about Elvis now is always going to be more complicated because we're aware of the controversies around him and his music. But in this, they, they engage with it right from the off and throughout. Elvis was a white artist inspired by black music, you know, in short. And that made him different and exciting, and a black artist would never have gotten the opportunities that Elvis did. The film frames him as an, as an outsider because of his relationship with uh, African-American culture and that he was concerned with civil rights and it makes an argument that at a key point in his career he made a protest song and as I said I'm no Elvis expert so I can't really speak as to whether the film really captures everything about the debate about Elvis and race but from what I do know about Elvis is that he wasn't you know a bigot and his music and his presence did change public perceptions about race he wasn't like a crusader or a civil rights you know, activist or overtly political or anything, but he did change things in, in terms of public perception. And I think the film did really want to engage with that. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't know whether it just pays lip service to it. And actually you could yeah. make a film, and maybe you should make a film about, the, yeah, as you said, that relationship between Elvis and black culture. Yeah. Uh, because obviously it does use some black musicians, like B.B. King and Little Richard. But they, yeah, it is very much like Blink and You Miss Them uh, in introductions, really. So, yeah. I like those segments as well, actually, though. They were really cool. Yeah, as you said, the film engages with it, but I don't know, maybe more could have been done there. I don't know whether it's something that you can criticise the film for, but... Maybe in other Elvis biopics, it wouldn't have touched it altogether. I, I think that was an, a side of Elvis I didn't know very much about, though, was this this idea about him being really bothered by the death of Martin Luther King. 
uh, or the assassination of Martin Luther King, I should say, and how that comeback special, like the end of it, was him making a statement. You know, not necessarily like a, a kind of spoken statement where he said exactly how he felt, but, you know, he says it through through music, and I think that's that's an interesting idea. It's my favourite chapter of the film, the uh, 1968 comeback special. It's basically where Elvis yeah. was a bit of a joke. He'd done a lot of bad films in Hollywood. Um, I'm not sure how much new music he'd, um, he'd produced. But uh, he, he uh, got talked into doing this uh, this comeback special with um, a big American broadcaster. And he did it, and it, it made him modern again. Or it made yeah. him relevant again. And yeah, as you mentioned, he did a... Or he wrote a protest song, or a protest song was written for him yeah. after the death of Bobby Kennedy. And I just think that segment works really, really well because you, it's, again, it's this transformative... Uh, performance from someone that is a bit of a joke to someone that is, yeah. um, you know, resurrects himself, and the music re- works really well. There's this tension between whether Colonel Tom Parker is kind of blindsided by these sort of younger producers trying to create the the music of Elvis that was so famous and iconic, yeah. probably about ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, it, I, I just think that whole sequence in terms of the music, the acting, and what he was trying to say was was delivered and executed um, in a really satisfactory way. Yeah, I, I like that segment too. I did want to say that I think Baz Luhrmann is like the perfect person to make this this film as well. Like he's he's rarely subtle, uh, often verging into something kind of almost crude. I mean, the quintessential shot you have is is in the trailer for it as well. It's Elvis's like groin gyrating with this electric guitar that sears across the soundtrack while young women kind of lose their minds. But that's perfect. I mean, th- there are things you can criticise about this film is that, that maybe it is a little bit like verging on the camp in, in certain ways. And th- that works sometimes in other Lerman films. I'm not sure it's necessarily the effect that he's going for here. Uh, and it is overly long. But, you know, I think the problem with a lot of musical biopics today, and there has been a resurgence of them, and I, I haven't really liked very many of them, is they try to show how it really was, but you can't really show how it really was. And Lerman is all about fantasy and the show and the epic scope of his films and, you know, the coolness, the eroticism, the impossible moustache, like twirling villains and perfect, beautiful heroes. You know, this is fantasy, utter golden age cinema fantasy and that's how you should capture an icon like Elvis yeah I think you talking about that means that he can take the artistic license of a real fact-based story yeah to bad places then I guess it is just an interpretation of the life of Elvis Presley told by Colonel Tom Parker or as we've established told by Colonel Tom Parker for a little bit of it yeah I'm not sure yeah I, I guess maybe if you are going to create this kind of ridiculous and sweeping story filled with really big visuals and music and spectacle, um, then hire Baz Luhrmann. But yeah, I guess <laughs> we probably are going to lose perspective about what is real and what isn't and what did happen during Elvis's life. It's really hard. It's hard to know with true stories where you draw that line, but it depends on the person. And I think Elvis is such uh, a massive icon. And I think that legacy of performance and his particular take on music i think it's appropriate to do something like this elvis is a great story about music musical artists and the music industry you know beauty tragedy fame power politics exploitation you know the quintessential story about the music industry and making music and it's about the quintessential rock star right i mean it is overly long and it's hitting a lot of familiar notes excuse the pun but you know, so I think that is going to put 
some people off. But at its core, it, it really delivers on capturing Elvis's power as a performer and an artist. And with, with you know, Austin Butler's uncanny turn as the king and Baz Luhrmann's trademark golden Hollywood glitz and glamour. It was, it was a really wonderful experience. I think it's going to be pretty divisive. It's probably not going to be an essential of film of the year for me. I don't think it's going to be essential. But some of those sequences will be some of the most memorable sequences to me of the year. And of course, if you have any affection for the king, I think you're going to absolutely love it. In fact, I did text one of my friends that's actually an, an Elvis impersonator uh, sometimes. <laughs> And obviously a massive Elvis fan, and and he said he loved it. So that's got the the seal of approval from a real Elvis fan. Oh, and he speaks for all Elvis fans. I'm oh, sure he oh, does. That's good. That's good to know. Yeah, that's it's, it's true. Look, we we got all the resources here yeah. at Films Better Than People. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I kind of broadly agree, which is rather boring, but I, I think the spectacle is really good. As we've talked about, the narrative framework doesn't because it does feel like we start with. Colonel Tom Parker, and we end up with a different interpretation of, of Elvis's life. Yeah. Um, I don't think Tom Hanks should have been in it. I think they should have hired maybe an actor who actually looked a bit more like Colonel Tom Parker and had Elvis more in the foreground. Yeah. Because I think there are times where we focus on Colonel Tom Parker when maybe kind of like a more all-encompassing approach to Elvis might have been satisfactory. But I mean, yeah. it's not, I'm not really criticising it, to be honest, because... Overall, I feel like this is a Baz Luhrmann film, and it's a Baz Luhrmann film about Elvis. I mean, okay, so maybe in the next sort of 20 years, we're going to get another film about Elvis, and it's going to be much more restrained and focused, and maybe some of the more problematic issues we, we talked about are going to be looked upon and going to be talked about and discussed within the film. Yeah. Uh, but overall, yeah, I, I think it was attritional. Um, I did find it sort of overly long. But but overall, I was I was satisfied, and I would recommend people to go see it because I didn't know anything about Elvis going in. I've done more research since I left the cinema after seeing it, and I think that's a good thing because I'm more interested in the music, I'm more interested in the history, uh, and I'm more interested in the characters. So I think there's loads of elements to the film that work really well, and and yeah, I think you can go for the music, you can go for the history, and if you're a big Baz Luhrmann fan, which I'm sure some people listening are, then I think it's going to work for you too. Without me, there would be no Elvis Presley. Reverend once told me that things are too dangerous to say. Sing. Ladies and gentlemen, dear Elvis Presley. If you liked Elvis, then watch Walk the Line from 2005. The film follows country singer Johnny Cash's rise to prominence and his relationship with the love of his life, Gene Carter. Whacking Phoenix's Cash, Reese Witherspoon Carter and both were nominated for Oscars, with Witherspoon winning the Best Actress category. I got to ask you how you came up with that sound. Steady like a train, sharp like a razor. We'd play faster if we could. The taste of love is sweet. We're all going to hell for the song for a second. What about me, Charlie? Am I going to hell? No, Jim, you're beautiful. <laughs> so, why watch Walk the Line if you liked Elvis? Well, it's the same time period and region as both musicians found fame by touring the south of the United States in the 1950s. In Walk the Line, Elvis even appears as he and Cash tour together under the Sun Records label. 
Tyler Hilton is the actor who roughly appears for three scenes as the king, so that scratches your Elvis itch if you have one. Like an Elvis, Rocking Phoenix takes on all of Cash's back catalogue himself and sings all of the songs live. Witherspoon does the same. Both men have their demons and early experiences of grief are explored in each film. Elvis lost a twin brother at childbirth and Cash's brother was killed in an accident which left a permanent rift between him and his father. These events go in some way to explain the guilt, need for escape and addiction featured in both timelines. Walk the Line is directed by James Mangold, whose style is definitely more measured than Lerman's. Despite Elvis being a biopic, Lerman wants to capture the dizziness and carnival chaos of Elvis's life, while Mangold's visuals are much more functional. Cash seems much more of an introvert than Elvis, and Phoenix is brilliant at emoting the underlying sadness and melancholy of the character. Another slight difference in form is Elvis is definitely more of a rise and fall story, given his premature death. At least the ending of Walk the Line offers redemption for Cash, as... With the direct influence of June, he overcomes his addictions and settles down to a stable life with her by his side. We also only go up to Cash's mid-twenties, while Elvis ends with his death at 42, so it's a segment of Cash's life, rather than his whole career like an Elvis. However, while the final third might differ, the spectacle and authentic performances from all the main protagonists in each movie makes the spirit similar. Elvis and Walk the Line are very much about the birth of rock and roll and country music into mainstream America, and for the most part in each, the songs through the talking by a talented and assured cast. Yeah, it's been ages since I've seen Walk the Line. It's definitely a more traditional biopic. It was massive at the time. It is a really good showcase of like Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon's talents and everything. And it's funny because it's it's, an, it's a good choice as well because like Johnny Cash and Elvis are sometimes a bit of an either or, especially in like country music circles. It's I didn't like, know which, that. Yeah, which do you prefer and stuff? I think it's sometimes asked to Republican candidates for president. That's what I've seen. I gave it less of that. Less um, of that. <laughs> to show their uh, authenticity to the real America or, you know, some bollocks like that. Yeah, they, they are very different artists and I think they appeal to different people in, like, different ways. But they kind of are both... Come from the same sort of genre. They do. They come from the same kind of genre and they, they were both mavericks that drew from the kind of country music scene. There's, there's a lot of things about them that are similar but it's interesting how they diverge as two different films if you're enamored by these icons of music then i think walk the line is definitely worth going back and and reviewing and revisiting and and also to see uh, a really great performance by yeah. someone who disappears into this musical icon i think both butler and phoenix do that in their, their respective roles. yeah i like that i like that word of disappears into that because that <laughs> just made me think of tom hanks again yeah he, he really stands out while whacking phoenix very much kind of yeah goes into that character and you know he it feels like he embodies him in so many ways i i actually thought and maybe this is something that's that's good about walk the line is that you could have taken some sequences of walk the line and i know it's because it's the same era and the same you know the same area and the same genre of music but you could have put them in Elvis and i know Elvis is much more sweeping and the you know the use of camera is much more dynamic but i think there are there are scenes in in Walk the Line that, that really stand out i mean especially it's much more common in these musical biopics to get the cast to actually sing the songs and play the music yeah but it was a big deal for Reese Witherspoon and Wacky Finches i even saw an interview ages ago with Reese Witherspoon talking about her role as June Carter, and she said you just absolutely terrified her to try and sing these songs yeah, herself. I don't blame um, her. Yeah, and, and Whacking Things, I think, said the same, but James Mangold, the director, made them do it. He wanted it as authentic as possible. Yeah. And I think you can tell. I think that really does make a difference. It does. I think in, in Elvis, I'd just like to go back to that, I think Austin Butler did all the early songs himself. 
Yeah. And then for the later songs, when Elvis is in Los Angeles and when he's in his residency in Las Vegas, they mm. use some of Elvis's voice and mix it in with Austin Butler's singing. So it's not a hundred percent. It's not. It's not like it is in in Walk the Line. But yeah, I think they're both really fine films. And, and Mangold's a fine director. He's had some misses. But he's also directed Logan and Free Ten to Yuma. Both very different films and different genres. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really like him as a director. And, and Walk the Line is definitely for, for someone who's interested in that period. And yeah, as we said, interested in an iconic American singer who's left a real legacy. Yeah. I do think that Elvis has a, a lot about performance in it and actually that he fell in love with performing. Cash, he is also a performer, but he kind of fell in love with an actual person and that's what kind of helped him or that's kind of what ended up defining him and the direction his life went. But I, I think there is a, a cool element of performance in Walk the Line as well. I think the Folsom Prison sequence is great. I think it's, you know, you get a sense of the energy that people would have around Cash, but a bit different to Elvis because, you know, these prisoners saw Cash as someone that was kind of closer to them. He wasn't, you know, glitzy and glamorous and covered in sequins. Mm. You know, he was someone from the rough side of the tracks who understood what it was to be completely down and out and hopeless. And that's what people really, really responded to. I felt tough, you know? Like I'd seen a thing or two, you know? Well, that was till a moment ago. Because I gotta tell you, my hat's off to you now. Because I ain't never had a drink this yellow water you got here at Folsom. It's interesting to compare those two styles of performance. Uh, I think they are very different stylistically. There's still that element there. Yeah, I think the film, I haven't seen it for a few years, but I do think the film starts and ends with that Folsom Prison sequence. Not quite. It does It does, does open Obi, just does before. Obi, does it, okay. it does open just before he goes and does that, that performance. And then I think the performance happens sort of two-thirds of the way through. But the film does end on stage. It ends with Cash proposing to June on stage. And that's kind of how they leave it. Which, again, is an interesting thing to do. Again, you know, like, as I said, Elvis is defined by his love of performing for his fans. Walk the Line is about kind of defining Johnny Cash through his romantic relationship. And it, it you know, it, it culminates on stage uh, with them, you know, getting engaged. Yeah, gr- a great way to end the film. Yeah. Now, I know I said and done a lot of things that I hurt you, but I promise I'll never do that again. I only want to take care of you. I will not leave you like that touch boy with your finger in the day. Yes. 
So, if you didn't like Elvis, then you should watch Frank from 2014. Aspiring musician John, played by Donald Gleason, is frustrated and going nowhere, but then discovers a gang of misfits who are in a band living in isolation. They're led by Frank, played by Michael Fassbender, a deeply talented and charismatic musician who insists on wearing a papier-mâché mask constantly to hide his face. John joins the band and secretly starts releasing their music to the world, leading towards Frank and Co.'s rise to rock stardom. How to describe Frank? One, two, three, four! Well, there's the head, of course. He never takes it off. You think it's weird? Would it help if I said my facial expressions out loud? Welcoming smile. Delighted look. But what goes on inside the head, inside that head? I find this inspiring. Is music. People should know about you. You should be famous. Flattered grin, followed by a bashful half-smile. Stop saying your facial expressions out loud. It's extremely annoying. So Elvis is an icon. Elvis the film is about an icon, and it takes itself very seriously. If you're bored by that kind of story and that kind of world, Frank is a weird little film that wants to challenge the glitz and glamour, and it's also a comedy, so maybe it's not taking itself seriously as Elvis was. Music is intertwined with fame and fortune, and Elvis and a few others were some of the first few people to be part of that world of excess and and status. But music is an art form, and Frank is about that dichotomy between being an artist and being a star. Frank and co. are all people who cannot function normally in society, apart from, you know, John, the the protagonist of the story, who the the audience are viewing the story through. But Frank and, and his band, they are all deeply unwell, but they do understand and are brilliant at making music. They aren't just good at making music. The point of the film is that they need music. That's the only way they can have a semblance of happiness, stability, and family. But John wants to be a rock star. He loves music, but in the end, like so many of our fantasies, it's not really about doing anything meaningful or worthwhile. It's about being worshipped, powerful, and rich. This film doesn't want to take the music business seriously. In fact, it seems to have an almost antipathy for any sort of success or fame, seeing it as toxic to the artist. This is also not a sexy film. It's not about a beautiful, tortured artist or uh, mad genius. It's about weirdos. It's about people who have never and will never fit in and makes the argument that music should be for them if it's for anyone. The truth is, is that I don't really know how to respond to Frank. It didn't really make me laugh out loud. It didn't move me exactly. But my God, it's a brilliant message about music and being an artist. And that's really stayed with me. You know, how so many of us fantasize about achievements, but few of us have the passion and the connection with what we want to make or do. And that's beyond status. And the only true reflection of an artist is someone that has no status. That's the point of view of Frank. So I, I would, I think that if you really want to delve into like the world of being a, a musical artist and the, the kind of glitz and glamour and, and, and sexiness of Elvis really puts you off, this is really, really unique and has something really important to say. Yeah, I always think Frank's a bit of a fuck you to musical biopics. <laughs> because, so without getting into too much detail, Frank Sidebottom was a real musician. Absolutely nothing in this film is about his life. It's not based on anything real. This isn't the story of Frank Sidebottom. It's just taking the idea of Frank Sidebottom and putting that that in a film. And I, I, I just, yeah, I, I'm a bit puzzled by it. And I think, yeah, it's, some people respond to it really well. 
Others didn't. I think it's a divisive film. Like, I think Elvis is probably going to be as well, actually. That's another link. Yeah, and I mean, maybe this is a bit superficial, but Michael Fassbender's in it, obviously, and this was at the height of his prominence, really, and he, he was getting a lot of really good roles and being yeah. nominated for Oscars. And he did this film, and I think he wears most of the film with a paper mache head on. Yes, he does. I mean, I think there's maybe, like, very little... <laughs> I don't think there's any... Is there, is there a shot of him? Yeah, there remember. is. Like, towards the... the as, as the film goes on, I won't spoil all of it. Yeah, and so all you've got to go on is his, his body, really. Yeah. And you kind of... You kind of recognise it in the way that he moves and his posture. That, okay, that is Michael Fassbender. But yeah, it's it's really strange. It's quite deadpan. It seems it's got a very, like, British sense of humour in that there's a lot of dark comedy in there. Um, I'm kind of glad you found meaning out of it, because I didn't when I saw it. I, I've never revisited it. So maybe it is a lot. No. It, it is a lot better than I give it credit for. But yeah, I mean, it does feel rebellious in a way, and is rejecting this idea because I think as we talked in Elvis, we sort of mentioned about the the historical accuracy and how much you should take that seriously. But you don't have to worry about that, Frank. <laughs> it's about a real musician, but it's nothing to do with his life. Was he a musician or was yeah. he a comedian? Like no, he was a, a musician. He, he was he a musician. Music, Frank Sidebottom, Yeah. Yeah. It's unclear if it's really. Well, like, yeah, how connected to that real character he really is. It is a very weird film, and it's about it's about weirdos and stuff. And like, I think both of us were, aren't really sure how to respond to it. I haven't revisited it either, but it's always stuck in my head as like a film that anyone interested in music should really see. You know, it, it's funny that really I, I I don't feel that message about music and being a creative has really ever been put forward the way that Frank does. The thing is, is that, you know, inevitably, with, with making films like this and stories about, you know, musicians, but artists of, of, in any medium, is that they will always be cool and sexy in, in, in what they do. God, I feel like I'm talking about sexiness a lot in this podcast, <laughs> but, but it is a musical biopic. We are talking about Elvis, a musical biopic. But, like... You know, this was a film that wanted to... You know, Frank's a film that wants to strip that away and actually just talk about the art and and, and creating it and, and what, what, you know, what is there right at the core of that need to do that. And in relation to the, you know, culture and, and, and fame and the whole industry and everything. I think anyone that feels creative or feels they are a creative or wants to be a creative should see this film, even if they kind of respond to it a bit like we did. <laughs> Here it is, my most likable song ever. Coca-Cola, lipstick ring, go dance all night, dance all night. Kiss me, just kiss me, kiss me, Nefertiti. This is your most likable song ever? Yeah. People will love it. So that's Elvis done. What do you think we're going to see next in terms of wonderful musical biopics? Probably, uh, I feel like the Beatles are probably due for a, a film of their own at some point, or maybe the Rolling Stones or something. Or yeah, it's a good weekend to do this podcast because of Glastonbury. Yeah, I'm actually, watching a lot of performers on Glastonbury stage in in June 2022. Maybe a few of them. There'll be films films made about them. I saw Paul McCartney on the Pyramid stage on yeah. TV. Not, yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, he he's led a very rich and interesting life. Mm. Is there anyone you'd like to see that make biopics about? Wow. I don't know. I feel like a lot of some of the bigger artists have been covered. I don't, I don't actually. I can't think of anything on the top <laughs> of my head. Do you? Mm, steps. 
Bewitched. Step. Bewitched, definitely. I think a, a biopic about Bewitched. Actually, maybe there could be this film how about 90s pop music. About, <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> vacuous, rubbish, 90s pop music. Um, yeah. You know, in this, in, in Elvis and in Walk the Line, we've kind of, we focus on the the birth of country and rock and roll in, in Memphis and, you know, all these southern states in Louisiana. Yeah. And, you know, it's this kind of really rich and historic time for the development of that country in terms of music and, exactly. and culture. And let's go to the UK in the 1990s. Yeah, and let's use some really crap, vacuous pop music that gets put on, ironically, at a lot of house parties and, and, and cheesy nightclubs. That's what I want to see. That's what the people want to see. You know, the truly great output of British music. You know, that would be something different. The I'd joke like will be on us when, in 40 years' time, 90s crap pop music is really revered. <laughs> and there is a film, or there's a TV series made about that. It makes lots of awards. It wins loads of famous actors, loads of acclaim. And, yeah. You know, joke will be on us. It probably will. Although, maybe I'll have a chance. Maybe if, if I... I won't get to play Elvis, but maybe I'll get to, you know, play one of the, you know, Backstreet Boys or... Or, or NSYNC, or or someone like that. What is it with you wanting to play, like, American musicians? I just think that people need to see that side of me. You know, the side of me that's uh, that, that's really cool and a sex symbol, you know? I'd say, you know, since I started this, this podcast, I'm a bit of a sex symbol now, right? Well, I mean, you do realise podcasts aren't visual. <laughs> I don't know whether that's... Maybe I should explain that at the beginning, but yeah... <laughs> Um, yeah, maybe you say I've got a face for podcasts. Yeah, I mean, maybe... <laughs> I've got a, I've got the sex appeal for podcasts, but no one actually gets to see me. Yeah, I mean, maybe the voice, maybe the voice will, will launch you into the in the stratosphere as Elvis was. <laughs> maybe watch this space. Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.